the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Ben Pitney is returning to the Great Mystery Series with a message titled, Intentional Followers of Jesus. If you have been following along, this is the sixth message in a series and will be from Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. I'm so glad that you're with us today. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Take your Bible out and turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. That's where we are in this series. And I'm excited to start this series back up. This is a specific letter to a specific church written by Paul. And um, Paul has not been actually to this church, and he doesn't really know these people personally. So it's a really wonderful interaction between Paul as, and, and them as he encourages them. He gets the information um, about these people and how they're doing from other people. And there's a term that he uses in this letter. He calls it this great mystery. And I love this hidden mystery that he says. It's been hidden for generations throughout the ages. And he said, now it's been revealed and it is Christ in you. So Paul's whole goal of this letter is to encourage Christ followers, encourage the church to become more mature and to grow in Christ and to make sure that they understand and that they get that Christ is to be revealed now to the world around us from the Christ follower because this is where he chooses to live and dwell. So let's just take a few minutes and look into this letter. One of the things I wanted to uh, remind us all about is that we are a community of disciples. That's the household of faith. That's the church. We are followers of Jesus. So we're a community of followers of Jesus. And the goal is for Paul through this letter, for each individual and for us corporately to grow in maturity and to be formed in Christ. When you get to chapter three in his letter, we're going to talk more about what this looks like. But for now, we can conclude some things. We can conclude that everything we do as a Christ follower, doesn't matter if you're talking about Sunday morning church or at home, just everything that we do, everything that we interact with, Bible study, quiet time, fellowship of any kind, prayer, small groups, missions, serving our community, marriage, just having coffee with a friend. All of this should be viewed under the overriding goal or through the lens of this overriding goal of being formed in Christ and helping others on that same journey. We don't have to always be super serious about all of this, but we do need to be intentional. We do need to be intentional. So let's just draw the truth out of the text. And really my first point here um, as as we kind of get going is that Paul is concerned about deception and distractions for these people. He's actually really concerned. And we're going to see why he's bringing up this issue for the Colossian church. He's writing this letter and why he's writing this letter to encourage the believers in Colossae and in the Lycus Valley. He's doing all this because there's there's a threat that might disrupt this process of spiritual growth in their lives. 
and in the community of believers in the church, and um, he doesn't want them to get off track. So let's just read the first five verses in chapter two. Let's read it together. He says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for those in Laodicea, and for those who have not met me face to face, my goal is that their hearts, having been knit together in love, may be encouraged, and that they may have all the riches uh, that assurance brings in their understanding of the knowledge of the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will, be, will deceive you through arguments that sound reasonable. For although I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your moral and the firm, or your morale, excuse me, and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is a pretty fantastic body of scripture right here, just five verses. And I want you to keep in mind that Paul's never been with these people physically. He's never met them. And he's not been in Colossae in particular physically right now. But He's with them in spirit. That's what he says. And this is possible because he is in Christ and they're in Christ and they have this in common. So they're in unity in Christ. And we have that same feature uh, for all of us in um, the household of faith or in the church. We are all Christ followers. That is the church. It's not a place or a building necessarily. So Paul can be present with them since they both live with Christ. And so for the first time in this letter, Paul mentions a dangerous influence that might get the Colossian believers off track. And the danger comes from false teaching, some sort of severe mystic uh, mysticism with um, Jewish roots involving legalistic disciplines, worship of angels, and keeping some aspects of the Jewish law. So this stuff's potentially going to invade this church. And some people believe that The false teaching is strictly from Jewish sources, and others believe it it, it was a form of Gnosticism. It doesn't really matter, probably. It seems to be a mixture of Judaism and paganism, all right? And there's potential for this to creep into the church. So Paul's letter indicates that this teaching is not necessarily having an impact yet in Colossae. So he rejoices that the church was in good order and things were going pretty well, that there was a well-ordered lifestyle in the community, and that their faith in Christ was firm. And this word that he uses, this word firm, it's a kind of military in its context. And it implies that the church is like a troop of soldiers holding down a position. I really like that. I don't know if you've ever thought about the church being like having a military component to it or like a group of soldiers. But um, the church here is ready to resist an enemy. And I think that that's really important for the church to be ready to resist the enemy. However, this false teaching might, um, might deceive or delude these believers because it's persuasive and it's real. It's fairly attractive in some ways. In every generation, there are, uh, there's deception and uh, deceptive and persuasive teaching that's false, 
that's, that detracts from um, growing fully in Christ. And I'm always amazed how people get attracted to some cult or something like this, an, an activity, and they fall into the power of a controlling leader in some ways. And you can kind of watch it on the news uh, periodically. Something like this happens, and you always scratch your head going, how could this happen? But I think it happens easier than we think. There are threats to spiritual growth on all kinds of levels. And there's a danger of becoming passive or unintentional about our spiritual life. And then we begin to drift and uh, fall away. And I think that that's when we're most easily deceived. There's a danger of doing things that seem to be all about our mission, but not involving actually our heart as well. And we can lose heart. We can give up on God because of difficult circumstances in our life. And life's pretty difficult right now. I'd say the circumstances are unpredictable, and it creates a lot of fear. And as we continue through chapter 2 in the coming weeks, as we continue in this series, right, we're going to discuss the Colossians and this kind of heresy. And I hope that we can flesh out the subtle influences and practices that might be impeding our spiritual growth, or at least have the potential to impede our spiritual growth. So let's talk about how Christ is the source of growth and encouragement. Because that's what Paul indicates. He's our source of growth and encouragement. And how we can stay on track in particular. And how we can stay focused on the greater goal of spiritual maturity, because that's his goal and that should be our goal as well. So Paul gives us the answer in verses 1 through 3. And basically, he encourages the Colossians in this church and us in the truth that Jesus is the source of everything that we need to be formed in him. He's the source of all of this that we need for encouragement. And I hope that he's your source right now. Christ and Christ alone is necessary for spiritual birth, spiritual transformation, rebirth, being made new. Christ and Christ alone is necessary for spiritual growth. So I just want to, I guess, sift through or sort through these particulars, okay? Let's look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. Follow along with me. In verse 2, he says, My goal is that their hearts, having been knit together in love, may be encouraged, and that they may have all the riches that assurance brings in their understanding of the knowledge of the mystery of God, namely Christ, namely Jesus. Okay, so Paul says in verse 2 that Christ followers at Colossae, Laodicea, and other places in the Lycus Valley have been knit together in love. This means that either love fits and holds things together, and this is how, by the way, he uses the same word in, he uses the same word in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, and later then in uh, chapter 2, so it's either that or they have been instructed in love as a foundation of life in Christ. That we're knit together with this love. We're, at least our foundation is, and, and our instruction is in uh, love, the, the love of Christ. And so even though Paul has never met the Christ followers in the Lycus Valley, right? He wants to encourage them. Why would he want to encourage them? Because he truly loves them and they're in unity. They're knit together. And when he's 
talks about this, it, the idea is actually a lot stronger than just saying we're knit together. Paul wants their hearts to be strengthened and he wants their lives to be encouraged so that if heretical teaching comes their way, it's not going to get them off track. So he feels really strongly about this and he's saying this with pretty strong emotion. The heart, as always, refers to our inner life, the center of us, uh, the inner person. So the source of our will, our emotions, our thoughts, and our affections. So the source of strength is a deep understanding and knowledge of the, of the divine mystery that he's talking about here, the source of strength that he wants them to have and remind them of. The content of this strength is Jesus. It's Christ. Even though it's hard to see this in the English translation, as we try to put it in words in English, you can see it in two parallel phrases introduced with the same preposition in verses 2 and 3. Look at verses 2 and 3, and watch. We'll point this out, okay? All the riches that assurance brings in their understanding, that's that first word, of the knowledge of the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of Wisdom. We could even um, make this red right here. Wisdom and knowledge, right? Those three words right there, understanding, knowledge, and wisdom. Christ is the object of understanding, knowledge, and wisdom. And the first phrase speaks to having a deep and full certainty in the understanding of God's mystery in Christ. And the second phrase speaks of having a personal knowledge of Jesus, a strengthened heart results in a, in a deep abi abiding conviction centered in Jesus, centered in Christ that's necessary in the face of false and deceptive teaching in order to stay grounded and focused on the long-term goal of maturity, right? So Paul, he then goes on to say that in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And the word hidden, when he uses that word hidden, it doesn't imply the goal of concealment. Of concealment. It means that the treasure is deposited in Christ, that this treasure that we're after and that we need, that we should have, that we need to be aware of, it's in Christ. And it's, it's not hidden or concealed from us. It's actually deposited in Christ. And so the words that Paul uses here, understanding, knowledge, wisdom, they're significant words. Remember that Paul also uses the term wisdom when he talks about teaching sometimes, right? The heretics were often, uh, were offering knowledge of God that was separate from Christ, that was external or not a part of what Christ taught. They were offering a special wisdom separate from Jesus, any counterfeit spirituality diminishes the centrality and the supremacy of Christ in some ways. So we got to watch out for that. And so Paul's reminding these people that they have everything they want or everything they need in Christ. And we need to be reminded of that as well. To search for other sources of knowledge apart from him is pretty much useless. Paul uses these same words when he prays in chapter one, if you go to Colossians chapter one, just back up to verse nine, look what he has to say here. He says, for this reason, we also, from the day we heard about you, have not ceased praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge, right, 
of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So this is definitely on his heart and his mind. Paul says that the key to transform or to be transformed or transformation is to go deeper and deeper into Christ, to search the depths of Christ and to engage with the rich treasures in Christ. Christ is the wisdom and knowledge and understanding of God. I, uh, I really like to fish. I don't know if you like to fish, but I like to fish. And there's something about fishing for me that it, it's relaxing. I enjoy it. There's a little bit of adventure, a lot of exercise, and it's not always guaranteed. But let me just kind of uh, share this little story with you. When I get ready to go fishing, I don't go fishing in places where I'm pretty certain there's no fish or there's going to be very few or little fish. I'm going to go to a place where I can catch big fish. Let me show you. See? This is the kind of place I'm going to go, all right? And when I catch fish, I mean, who wants to catch little fish? I want to catch big fish, fighting fish, and I want to catch a lot of them. And so I have places, and fishermen will call them honey holes. Not everybody is going to get to go with me to these places. I'm going to be a little more protective of them because there's a treasure there that I want to be able to get to, right? So think about this for a few minutes, for a few minutes. Of course, you want to fish the better places if you're going to go fishing, right? Fishing a place where there's only going to be these little teeny fish or a fisherman might call it a dink, right? It's going to be like going any other place other than Jesus for spiritual maturity. That's what it's going to be like. In Jesus, we have an inexhaustible treasure of everything we need to be transformed into his likeness. Why would we want to go someplace else where that doesn't really exist and it's not likely you're going to get any of that? It's the same thing as fishing. This is why Paul, in his letter, talks so much about the supremacy of Christ. He's always talking about the supremacy of Christ. And let me just remind you of it just a little bit in just way of review. So far, we've seen all kinds of things and we've learned that, right? This is what we've learned so far. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's right out of chapter one, verse 14. We have redemption and forgiveness of sins. That's what we've learned. That we can't be in God's presence because of our sin, God made a way for us through Jesus so that we could be forgiven, washed clean, transformed, redeemed, made new. We have redemption in Christ. We've already learned that. How about this? In him, all things in heaven and on earth were created by him. Chapter 1, verse 16. Jesus is the creator. God the Father is the architect and the designer of all this. And Jesus implements this plan and and so he is the creator of all things. He is the supreme creator. In him, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the Son. Wow. Everything that God is, Jesus is. They are one. They each have a different role, but, they, but the fullness of God exists in Jesus. So all the treasures of God exist in Jesus, 
all this power and wisdom, this wealth of what we need is in Jesus. How about this? Chapter 1, verse 22. He has reconciled you by his physical body through death. So we know that we are um, commanded to celebrate his death until he comes. And we do that through the Lord's Supper, right? Why would we celebrate and want to be reminded of his death? Because through his death, we are reconciled. We are made right. We're made new so that we can be in relationship with God. And that's what he wants. And now, right now, then, in these first five verses of chapter 2, look at verse 3. And now we can see that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I don't know about you, but this seems like a time where we need this wisdom and knowledge to me. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen next. I have no idea how things are going to unfold um, this next week when this sort of quarantine stuff is going to be lifted, when we're going to be able to come back together. But I know where there's a treasure of wisdom and knowledge and where I can get it and what I have access to, you see. So really quickly, what does this have to do with me? How can we wrap this together? I think first you have to ask this question, where are we going and what are we becoming? Where are we going and what are we becoming? According to Paul, we should be going and moving towards Christ deeper and deeper towards Christ because that's where all the treasure is. All these unbelievable things and characteristics of God and, and wisdom and knowledge and understanding of who God is. So we should be headed towards Christ all the time and we should be coming more mature. We should be growing, becoming more Christ-like. That's what this has to do with me. That's what he is continually saying over and over again. Maybe you're filled right now with doubts and confusion in your relationship with God, and uh, lots of people are. So here again, we can find wisdom and understanding and knowledge in Christ. So he's the way. God made a way for us in Jesus. So now's a perfect opportunity to settle those doubts, to cast those doubts and that confusion um, on the Lord and drive yourself deeper into relationship with Christ. And that will take some intentionality and some discipline, but Christ is near. He's as near as a prayer away. And if you are a Christ follower, we know that he dwells in us through the Holy Spirit right here. He is that close. We don't pray to him like he's way up there far beyond the clouds. He's this intimate and this near. Maybe you're looking for some spiritual clue that will make your life fall into place. <laughs> so you're seeking. And this circumstance that you're in, that we're all in, is causing you to seek, ask, and ask more questions. The answer is still Jesus. He is the one who's going to make things fall into place. So without Christ, apart from Christ, we're really nothing, and there are really no good answers. Perhaps you're longing, or you have this deep desire, and you're wondering if there's something else you need, and we were designed like that on purpose. And I'm telling you, if you've got that knocking on your heart, that again 
That is the Holy Spirit of God, and that is his role saying, I would really like to dwell right here because you need Jesus, and I want relationship with you. And so that long, the only thing that's going to satisfy that longing and that wondering is Christ. And so don't stiff-arm God. Don't stiff-arm God. Don't hold him at bay. There's no guarantee that he will keep coming back and knocking on your heart. There's no Bible verses that say he will continually keep coming back. If he's knocking on your heart, don't stiff arm him. Put up that white flag and surrender. That's the Holy Spirit saying, I want you. And Jesus is the way. Paul's goal in his letter here is to encourage and strengthen our hearts and to remind us that everything we need, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, it's, it is hidden in the treasures of Jesus. It's all deposited in Jesus. So we need Jesus. If you want transformation, come to Jesus. Sit with Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Jesus is always near. Let me pray with you. Thank you again, Lord, for um, moments that we can spend together drawing the truth out of the text. And now that we know and we understand this truth, I'm praying, God, that we would respond appropriately, that you would continue to drive us, Lord God, to your son, Jesus, into a deeper spiritual relationship with your son, Jesus, so that we can take advantage of this access that we have of all these treasures of wisdom and understanding and knowledge. That's what we need right now. We know that those things settle and satisfy and dispel fear, and lots of us are afraid, and lots of things are unknown, but when we have these things, All of that goes away because of your supremacy. Thank you, Lord, just again that we can spend time like this. Even though we are distant from each other, we are still connected. Just like Paul was connected to the church in Colossae, even though he had never met them and wasn't there and was far away, he was connected and we are connected in unity. Thank you for how that works, God. I can't even explain that to its full extent. But we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Join us next week as Pastor Ben takes us further into the great mystery. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com dot com.